Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here as always with... Joe Hilliard. And we have a special returning guest. Oh, We're I can't wait. super excited to have Love back, this guy. back on the program. Um, been with us for years, um, chatting about films on, on lots of different platforms, but it's fun to actually have him on the podcast with us now for a second time. Kyle Ferguson. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going very well, and we're, and we're excited to have you back in the seat for many reasons, um, not the least of which is that we're looking at really the first of 2023's horror offerings, I think we could say pretty safely, right? Mm -hmm. There, there might have been something that snuck in on like a, an indie platform that I wasn't aware of in the the first couple of days, but uh, but nonetheless, um, we're we're going to be kicking off 2023 with a bang with some horror, um, and then and then maybe some more existential sci-fi stuff uh, as we go along. But nonetheless, before we do any of that, I want to get some beer in my glass. So uh, here on the uh, the third coast <laughs> uh, recording squad uh, of this episode. Uh, Joe and I are gonna be drinking this uh, Houston Hazier. It's a double IPA from Spindle Tap Brewery, which we have had several times in the past, I believe four times. This is, is our, this, this this is our fourth, is fourth one. Okay, so yeah. we're, not five, we're not a five timer yet with Spindle Tap, but it's soon to be, I bet. Sure. Um, and th this again is coming to us from our great friend, great friend of the podcast, Daniel Benavides, who, uh, who has supplied us with so many wonderful beers over the years. And this is one that I think if you're up in Houston, you could probably get your hands on, but not here in our market. So um, he, he had this brought in. This is sort of their double IPA version of the Houston Haze, mm -hmm. which is their single IPA, which is somewhere around 7%. Mm -hmm. This one's around nine. I'm excited to get some in the glass and- uh, That and, Houston and Haze is a solid shelfy hazy IPA. So I look forward to this double version. Now, Kyle, I know you're you're not drinking the Houston Hazy. Your spindle tap doesn't make it out to the West Coast. So what did you pick up? Uh, so this is going to be from Hamilton Family Brewery um, out of Rancho Cucamonga, which is just a couple cities away from me here. And this is their double mango, double IPA. Ooh. And it says here, uh, Citra, Cashmere, Amarillo, and Mango um, with an 8.2 EPB. Love it. Well, at least we're both on the double IPA tip here at the the first part of the episode. That's pretty nice. Yeah, you know, and uh, let's talk about this for one second. Yeah. We have a third chair guest, rotating guest. Kyle, of course, comes uh, to us now probably from the farthest away. And it is difficult to see, to get a kind of Venn diagram of overlapping beers available in that California market where, Kyle, I mean, I can only imagine how broad how many options there are for you. And of course, you know, as we've talked about living down here in South Texas, uh, our, our offerings are a lot more limited. I, I don't want this to ever happen again. Next time Kyle comes on, we're sharing the same beers, even if a mail drop That's, is going we, we to occur. We could do it. I mean, Kyle's actually sent us beer before. He has. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and vice versa. I can definitely yeah. uh, put together another little care package for yeah. you guys. I I I uh, I'm in on this, Joe. I yeah. think I think next time we'll definitely whether it has to be by mail or or more uh, 
strategic planning uh, ahead of time will try to match up. But, but I, I can't really argue with the idea that it's going to be a mega episode of the beer portion of Beer in a Movie, as we're going to probably discuss four beers today when we normally discuss only two. That's fine. But I can't wait to get my uh, this Houston Hazy or double IPA. I'm already getting a lot of the same notes that I get with the Houston Haze. Yeah. This is my first time with the Hazier, but uh, you know, a lot of it's a it's a hazy IPA as you know as build. Um, good sort of citrusy, slightly tropical nose on it. Looks hazy like it should, you know, very yeah. opaque. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited. Double mango. Kyle, is the mango hitting you over the head? Oh, yeah. Um, and I've actually had this before at the local AMC. Uh, oh, they, nice. they, they stock uh, kind of a rotating bill of local breweries. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've bought them out last time <laughs> so they <laughs> they ran out of this one um, awesome. but i was glad to see it uh, come to the local beer cave so i picked it up for this movie which i did see it uh that same amc theater very nice Whoa, very nice. lovely i looked at our records we did not do a 2022 new movie until february of last year was that how long we held off yeah. i knew it was a while because we always play this catch-up in this january is, and this february. is the catch-up season especially for our market where we don't tend to get some of those award contenders uh until a couple weeks after the some of the larger markets so right. if you are a uh patreon a user of ours, a friend of ours on Patreon, patreon.com slash beer the movie podcast. Then you've already seen our schedule for the majority of January. You already know the date of the Bammies, our big end of the year kind of year in review. So go there, $5 a month, get you uh, not only a bonus episode every week, but also some of these uh, sneak peeks. So, uh, and, uh, and we'll even misspell your name uh, on these posters <laughs> whenever we possibly can. Right, Kyle? Yeah, hey, uh, you fixed it before anyone else saw it, I think, That's so right. no worries. <laughs> jo- Joe, even when you make a mistake, you're very quick to fix it. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, I make no mistake about it. <laughs> uh, here are the second week of January. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here in the second week of January, we are hitting a new 2023 release, yes. and that is the new uh, movie Megan. Blumhouse production you know it's going to have some horror elements the trailer uh, for whatever reason I was attracted to this movie not just you this was like a, a viral trailer right people sure. people were sharing this thing in the first moments of the movie we see Katie a young girl and her parents on a ski trip and a big car accident so Katie uh, is now an orphan and her aunt yes. is going to be her prime custodian and uh you know of course all the grief that comes with losing your parents at that young age who can possibly uh, imagine dealing with that but it just so happens that Gemma her aunt played by help me Allison Williams that's what i meant to say is a Ca- caught up in the the recent uh what what is it nepo babies that we're we're talking about these days with the the children of successful sure. Brian Williams people. the so Brian anchorman. Williams being a television personality anchor person sure I know that she uh, made her bones on girls and has been in several things so well that's get out probably most famously yeah, in right. terms of feature films speaking but yeah of, speaking of horror but it t- turns out that her aunt Gemma uh, is a toy slash robot uh, producer for a large toy company that you know has Hasbro in its sights and trying to take them down they have had a huge success with these um, interactive, like Furbies, perpetual. Yeah, like pets that that poop and fart and you know, hilarious. And the movie actually, but, 
but are also from the very outset. Well, I'm, and now I'm getting into the weeds. Let, yeah. I'll let you finish your synopsis. Well, I was going to say, the movie opens up with a commercial yes. for that toy. Yes. And it, it, it is leading you into the idea that you better have a sense of humor as you watch this thing. Because right. the film that you're about to watch is going to have a sense of humor. Then this like horrific crash that kills the parents. And now we're with Gemma. We learn who Gemma is. And she is tasked by her boss to uh, come up with an inexpensive version of that toy that they've had success with. Right. But her secret project, her pet project, one that has evolved from her college days and a robot that she built in college, is Megan. Um, short for Model 3 Generative Android, a lifelike artificial intelligence doll designed to be a loyal companion to the child it's programmed for and be an ally for the caregivers. Right. And as Megan is, uh, you see, you know, there's plot twists about Megan is not the prime kind of directive for the company to do, but then there's a, a prototype and a demonstration that wows the board and everybody in the room, and they say, let's go with Megan. Megan's going to be a $10,000 price toy, but it's going to take the market by storm. And you, if you've seen the trailer, you see Megan's very, very lifelike. Uh, she can dance. She can sing. She can, and she her her like I said, her job as a as the for the parents' point of view is to be a companion to their child that they give their the toy to. Right. But Megan has got the ability to learn and and evolve, and uh, and in doing so, her pri her prime directive, not to use that term twice, is to be a protector for the child. And as we learn that this child's going through grief and reacclimating to a new life and a new home with new friends at a new school, uh, Megan takes every threat seriously, and there's an escalating level of violence toward them. And you know, then it comes down to a show a showdown between Gemma, the new mother figure, the aunt, and Megan. That's about as much as we need to say as far as yeah, the synopsis. you brought us through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was caught by this trailer too. I thought I thought um, it it was a it was a slick trailer. It was fun, uh, and it, and as much as um, you know, I'm I'm not somebody who's going to see every single uh, horror film that makes it to theaters. I'm I'm going to seriously consider going to just about anything that actually makes it to the multiplex. And so I was excited to see this was getting a wide release, and uh, and so early in the year at a time when you know, Joe, I think part of the reason is we're playing catch up in February often, but also or catch up until February often. But part of the reason too is there isn't really new 2023 no. releases of great quality that are coming out in, in January. fact January and February are known to be kind of the dumping grounds yeah. for studios to put out stuff they don't have a lot of confidence in so um, I was excited to see this one come along when it was now Kyle you're our bloodthirsty horror enthusiast the bloodier the <laughs> gorier the better also uh, the campier the better a too, PG-13 oh, horror yeah. comedy is this something you're interested in from the get-go uh, I mean, I try to see as much as I can, uh, blood or not. Um, you know, when, when we saw this trailer and of course, you know, the, the like little dance she does from the, from the trailer trending on basically every social media you can think of, yeah. um, it just looked like it was going to be a lot of fun. And so I kind of went in with the expectations of, you know, this isn't necessarily going to be scary. And this is me not knowing even what I'm talking about, you know, just based off trailer alone. I'm not necessarily expecting to be scared, but I'm expecting to have a good time. Yes. You know, some some laughs, some some uh, kind of moderate thrills and uh, definitely hit those marks. 
you know, yeah. like when, when it immediate, like Joe already mentioned, it starts off with the commercial for this kind of Furby-esque, um, <laughs> like AI and, and they're, you know, it, you're not really sure what tone it's going for, but then right. it immediately sets you up right off the bat. Oh no, we're, you know, it's going to be fun. But also knowing that this girl is going to end up sans parents relatively quickly for the plot to develop. Yeah. You know, you, the second you see the three of them in the car, you yeah. immediately know, okay, these parents are dead meat. And so it, <laughs> yes. it hits you with those two things right off the bat. You know, yeah. okay, we've got the humor, but it's not going to be too funny. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, There's still yeah. going to be some, some kind of dark, sudden things uh, to, to give you little bits of shock. Yeah, it it was sort of uh, fascinating how I mean, because you're right, Kyle. The, the the sort of tone here, it shifts around a bit, right? I mean, as the film goes on, there's definitely a dark comedy that pervades. I think throughout most of the film, um, and and a sort of campy humor at times, especially I think with like the you know the parody uh, you know uh, toy commercials that we're getting with the perpetual pets. Um, even the the sort of ad or promotional clip that they make for Megan later on when they're trying to kind of promote that. There, there are these wonderful little elements in there that are truly like, you know, dark satire. I would, I, I would you know, not be totally flabbergasted to see them show up on, you know, I Think You Should Leave or some other sketch comedy show, uh, you know, going these days. But also interspersed are these, you know, like there is this story of this young girl who's lost her parents and we see those parents as you say, um, die in, the, in that first opening scene. And we see, you know, later her her suffering, the emotional... Um, we learn quickly that her new guardian is ill-equipped for the job. That's right. That's right. And it, and as much as, you know, it, it, I was worried going into it, especially once that kind of got established, I'm like, are they going to be able to do this kind of shifting back and forth between me taking it seriously and the the more humorous sort of dark satire aspects of it? And I think they really pulled it off pretty amazingly well, especially like, you know, take a scene like the the demo that gets done for the um, the corporate board or whatever. Right. Where, where they bring in those people. And it seems like it's going awry at first because uh, Katie is kind of having this emotional moment and, you know, like reflecting back on her parents, feeling lost, feeling that. And then Megan consoles her. It has this like you know, really deep kind of conversation with her and then offers her like, I, you know, tell me a story about them, records that story and says, I'll always keep it for you and it'll be recorded when here. you need to hear this, it's always available. Yeah. And then a cut to the board. Yeah. And one of them is crying. A female pulls her, uh, her handkerchief out and begins dabbing her eye. Yeah. And it's so funny well, and well executed. And it actually sure. works. Like, I felt like the emotional truth of that moment wasn't, it was it coexisted with the dark comedy of it. I had, here's my first impression. At the theater, the Friday that it comes out at noon, mid-sized theater, packed, sold out really? basically. Oh wow. And oh, yeah. I had I, I had not had that experience since an Avatar or a Top yeah. Gun Maverick. Yeah. I have gone to so many movies by myself, usually around mm -hmm. the lunch hour, and been the only person in the theater. Yeah. And that's the types of movies that we tend to be drawn to or the more art house that don't get the larger audiences. But right. at the same time, some of the uh, uh, films that are more generally you know, known or, or you know, made for a more general audience have been lightly attended. Mm -hmm. The idea that the first week of 2023, my first new experience at the movie since the new year, 
that it's full. I, I, it's the most optimistic I've been in the movie theater in a very, very long time. And I'll just go out and say, David, that I, I got a couple little knocks sure, against sure. the film. I like this movie so much. I had so much fun yeah. in this movie. It isn't excessively gory, although they ride the line on PG-13, I think, sure. as hard as you can. And the one F word you get with a PG-13 is, is fucking perfect. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, all the way back to Anchorman. Fuck you, San Diego. You know, yeah. whatever. It's so well done. We're going to take that one F word we get and use it really well. Use the tools available to us for a PG-13 film. Megan did that really well. Yeah, the um, you said you've got a couple of knocks against it. I, I feel like um, there's nothing about this, actually, that I can complain too much about, um, especially knowing going in it's a PG-13. It, it, it hit all the marks about as well as I could expect. You know, um, obviously, for, for like a, a diehard horror guy, I'm, uh, I would have liked it to be a little more uh, gruesome. You know, it could have gone a little darker. That's simply not what the movie is, though. You know, the yeah. movie's having more fun than that. And, and that's totally fine. Um, that's, you know, it did what it was doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. There's, there was definitely a couple points, um, like, uh, towards the end of the movie, there's, they're kind of like filling up a conference room type, uh, building for this, this type of reveal or, uh, you know, where it's going to be maybe televised or something. And they've got a, kind of a big crowd going and I'll go, okay, here we go. There's going to be a couple, a couple kills in a row or maybe a full out massacre. And, she kind of, you know, runs down a hallway, kills one guy in an elevator. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. very, uh, you know, it, it didn't really feel the need to do all that. And, and you know, that's the itch that I would like to have scratched. But, yeah. you know, that's that's not really a knock against it. Just kind of felt like uh, maybe a missed opportunity. If it wanted to go, if it wanted to go a little bit harder, it could have and it would have yeah. fit. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I liked how they tried to throw in some AI-based 2023 version of, of, the, of, of, the, of the morals of AI. And the, specifically the morals here of creating a doll that can basically, it's worse than screens, right? Uh, Katie's parents that we see briefly uh, have established rules about the level of screen time that mm -hmm. she gets. And that's a very common thing for parents to do. But Megan is walking Google. I mean, part of her interaction with you is knowing everything. Yeah. So if you've got a question about this or that, she can just answer it, you know, because yeah. she's got Google in her head. Mm -hmm. um, is it wise to give this to a grieving child due to attachment uh, attachment? Issues. issues. Yeah, right, right, right. Is it wise for parents to give their children yet another tool to basically take them as parents out of the mix? If you've got Megan, you don't even really need the parents around as much because right. Megan's going to literally kill for you if required. They, they, they bring some of that. The psychiatrist, uh, of course, when you're a new custodian, there's going to be some probably psych psychiatric evaluations to make right. sure that you're a fit parent figure. And that happens here. Um, and then the lab assistant also was asking these kind of ethical questions. Right. Yes, we can make this doll that would be a surrogate sister, brother, parent for a child, but should we be doing that? It's very Jurassic park. 
They yeah. don't. You're right. They, should we? Should we though? But after asking those questions, they let the action of the movie kind of answer the question rather than battle with them in dialogue or. Right. Right. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I think it's it's interesting because I think this film clearly. I mean, I've already used the word satire, and I think that's appropriate. I I do think that this is not just black comedy for black comedy's sake. I think that they are making some comments on technology, our reliances upon it, what that maybe means for the future. The technology of this film, apart from Megan, um, is all very attainable, right? You have the LC, uh, you know, home system like an Alexa, the, yeah. the, the, the kind of a, a personal assistant system that... Uh, you just made everybody's Alexas wake up. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that, that Gemma has uh, throughout her, ho her home. Um, you have the, you know, the, as you said in the, the opening, her on the tablet, which is connected to the perpetual pet that she's, you know. So there's all these things that are really in the mix already. And, you know, there it's kind of a throwaway line, but, but it was one that I really liked that they had it in there. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping, and th there's going to be a sequel. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping they're going to expand this element of it. But, you know, the, uh, Gemma, the Allison Williams character, talks about how one of the big things about the perpetual pets that are going to allow Megan to work so well is that they've recorded so much data of children's speech patterns and, and like, you know, their, their conversation and everything, and they're incorporating that into the doll. And that kind of, you know, there's surveillance that's going on continually now with us, with, with various forms oh, yeah. of technology, yeah. um, and how various platforms are using that to yep. sort of cater their recommendations and ultimately, you know, yeah, it all makes perfect sense. I mean, this is just a, a slight bit of an extension of what we see already happening going on. And I think they do it really smartly without necessarily, I mean, it's not like they're hiding it, but they're also not hitting you over the head with it. And it's still a really fun movie, scary movie at moments, but fun movie to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't feel like I'm being lectured to, though I think I walk out and I think most of us would walk out of the theater thinking like, yeah, geez, like the, we're maybe going a little further with this stuff than we're realizing we have. Yeah, it um, it would have been very easy for something like this to be more heavy handed um, and, and come it's, across. It's not that kind of movie. Yeah, and it could have though. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the line is right there where it would feel like kind of naggy or just too uh too kind of dumb message wise we're just going yeah. phone bad don't look at your phone you know yeah, like that's yeah. and and a lot of uh instead you get that funny similar type you get that funny moment there i think it's in the promo video for the megan when it was being like you know she'll help you know take over the parenting duties so that you can spend time doing the things you love and it's her sitting on the couch with her laptop right. <laughs> on her yeah. lap, you know, it's not like, of, but, but it's a quick throwaway. Yes, right, right. <laughs> um, but I agree. I think they do it in a really like a subtler way and one that they don't just keep beating the drum throughout the entire film. I practiced how I was going to say this on the way over here and I, I know I didn't get it right. It also shows kids in distress. It shows a generation of kids that exist that are uh, I'm start I'm speaking specifically to the bully at school, and it's not gruesome, Kyle, but it's an effective scene. The bullying scene when the when the uh, the boy is kind of like getting kind of rapey, weird with Megan before Megan springs to life, yeah. and 
and stretches his ear farther than a human's ear, I believe, can stretch. But the audience and myself were totally digging it. And then that ear just pop, oh, yeah. pops right off. And then she says, as you see in the trailer, uh, now is now is the time to run. Or, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, now is when you should be running. Yeah, yeah. And, and she then, just kind of throws the little ear bit over her shoulder, just right. like yep. chucks it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and then Katie's tantrums uh, when she's not getting her way, and they get violent, and they're mm-hmm. acute. Um, I didn't say cute, acute. Yeah. Uh, acutely violent, and I have been around children just like this. Yeah. And they're in movies often the kids are the cute little guys that say the quippy line that makes you laugh right. and they're showing a side of childhood 2023 childhood that is that is real and they they did it unabashedly yeah and I, and I think you know right there Violet McGraw here is the performer playing Katie uh-huh. and, and I think she does a really good yeah, job it, looking doing a little reading on this she's actually the sister of um the actor who uh, played the the young uh, the girl in uh, the black phone, right? So that there there's a there's a talent streak in that family, there is. and and there are and they're becoming like scream queens, little little young <laughs> scream queens maybe. Um, and Allison Williams now in her second outing, that that's kind of impressive. Like it, it, for Bloomhouse for you know like yeah. doing these kind of uh, um, horror roles, which I think I don't think of her as a great actor. I still don't think of her as a great actor. But I think she can deliver well on roles that are written that sort of suit her, it, which I guess I would describe her as having a somewhat flat, maybe almost wooden kind of delivery mm-hmm. to, to, to her. But I think it works in the case of, you know, Get Out, it's a character who's like really playing a role, right? I mean, like throughout the film, she's pretending to be something that she's not and right. eventually reveal. You know, mm-hmm. here it's not that she's... Spoiler alert. You know, she's also kind of trying to play a role that she's not really meant to, right? She didn't want to be a parent. She didn't choose to be a parent, and it's kind of thrust no, upon Katie her. No, Katie, her life is a huge uh, yeah. inconvenience. Yeah. Given that's her time. a thing I was... That's the thing I was actually going to ask you guys is what you thought about. Yes, our children her. are inconveniences, Kyle. Yeah. Oh, what was the <laughs> Well, I don't have kids, so that's for you to answer. Um, but, uh, oh my God, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I'm sorry. More about, uh, no, it's okay. Um, whether Gemma actually wants to be a mom. Or if she's just kind of feels obligation, there's there's a weird kind of throwaway line, and it's never mentioned again. Where where I believe it was the psychiatrist character asks her, you know, so were you and your sister close? And she just kind of does a uh 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 yeah, and then yeah. and then they move on, you know. And so for right. me, it felt like she, this was like um like a redemption arc for her a little bit, you know what I mean? Maybe she was too wrapped up in her work to to have the kind of familial bonds that that maybe she thought she should have had and so was now trying to kind of pay it back you know um you know after after her sister's death to to make it up to her by by taking care of her child but there was there was like some context there that seemed like it was missing or grazed over um yeah i I, I, was curious to see what you guys read into that i think you're right it's more hinted at than it's fully explored um, you know, we also get that quick reference to, oh, well, you know, his parents would be, you know, the, the brother-in-law's parents would be willing to take her or have interest in it. And, you know, if you're not equipped to do this, which she kind of rejects. But I, but again, like you were saying, Kyle, 
I don't read that rejection as a, oh no, of course I'm her, you know, new guardian. I read it more as a, I feel obligated or something uh, it's or like a sense of duty. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not yeah. going to, so I don't know. I, mean, I, I think there's probably more to be explored there. And I mean, spoilers folks, the, these characters do make it out of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, th though there is the lingering sense and we know there's going to be a sequel. So m my guess is we may actually see some of that stuff get explored, whether or not it's done in a way that we like, I, I like how it was handled for this particular film. I think there was a lot going on. Um, I think as much as we got of those characters and their backstories was enough to get us to where we needed to be. And it never, and that's one of the things I really loved about the film. It didn't hit me over the head with like trying to fill in tons of backstory. What was the history of the relationship between the sisters? What was the, you know, had she been present as an aunt at all before? I mean, she seems a little bit like a stranger, mm -hmm. but you know, I think all that stuff was handled pretty well. I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Uh, yeah, I think that it's not that kind of movie, uh, you know, and it, like I said, it takes it to the line of giving a, uh, an audience that might be looking for, to make sure all the pieces in the script fit together, mm -hmm. uh, enough meat there to chew on. But at the end of the day, the second and most of the third act is just Megan going nuts. And that's yeah. the fun, the, that's the fun part. You well, know? I think the the true, I think outstanding piece of this film and what really sort of seals the deal for me and thinking that this is a, a great way to kick off 2023 in the land of horror and film in general is Megan is is this character that is a you know an amalgamation and Joe you you kind of shared an article with us about it I had already looked up a little bit mm -hmm. about how this performance is achieved because there is a young child actor uh, Amy what was her name uh, Amy Donald um, who in certain scenes performs as Megan. Right. I, I guess based on the article that you shared, mm -hmm. it's when we're in more of like a longer shot yeah. and we're not, you know, getting the details of the face and all that. Um, when we're closer up, they're often using puppets. There's motion capture being used for certain elements of it, CGI. And then there's also a different voice actor, uh, Jenna Davis, who's doing the voice of Megan throughout the film. And all of that comes together. It never feels it never feels clunky. It never feels like, oh, we're combining these things and we're putting them together in this kind of forced, faked way. It felt very seamless to me. And this character was very believable. Um, and and also like hits perfectly in that uncanny valley thing where it's like, yes, it looks human-like enough and has facial expressions that are human-like enough that I can buy it. But then especially when you get in on those tighter shots, there's something just unsettling about it yeah so here's a couple of things and they're and they're minor um this goes back to my samantha morton conversation from last week and the whale how <laughs> her performance completely took me out of the film oh ronnie chang or chang oh. as the boss yeah was horrible oh. and i don't mean he's playing an assholey boss i mean his delivery is wooden stilted and takes me out of the film almost every single time he speaks small point Okay. The other thing that uh, I groaned at was um, one of the things that uh, Gemma, Gemma does to endear herself to Katie when they're kind of getting off to le learning who one another is, is shows her a college experiment with a robot that she did. What was the robot's name? Bruce. Bruce. Mm -hmm. And then when Megan has got Gemma down and out for the count, you know she's about to be a goner, Katie, the new niece, 
or not the new niece, but the niece comes in and has activated. It activates Bruce to have a war with Megan because how else are we going to you know compete with this super strong doll? And says some kind of '80s action line. This I is want our... to introduce you to another member of the family. Yeah, or it's another member of our family, and then does the thing that, that that activates Bruce, and then Bruce and Megan get into a whole thing. Uh, cheesy, but it's not that kind of film. We're just gonna go with it. But more interestingly for me, and I know when we get into the uh, our second film today, we'll probably be asking some of the same questions. Is I didn't understand the technology, and it's not that kind of movie where I probably need to, <laughs> of how Megan, you could turn her on and off. At the beginning of Megan, but as Megan lived and and evolved, she was able to out uh, to 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 uh, disengage right. some different aspects of herself. Well, she could like yes, because initially it would she would respond to the Megan shut down command, she, but she then at down. a certain point, Megan shut down gets answered with "Are you sure?" Yeah, yeah. and then later it's "No, you can't shut me down." Yeah. Um, and none of that's explained, uh, I guess, because the cloud exists. I mean, you know, it's 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 one of those details that can easily be explained away. There was um, like one kind of throwaway line from uh, Megan herself. It's like uh, something about, "Oh, I'm my own primary user," yes. or so, something similar to that. And and it's something uh, because originally she's just uh, just the the child's right uh, primary. And and Gemma has to kind of have herself added on as like the parental guidance system, you know, like oh, and also me, I can also shut down Megan. Yeah. And so when when I since we know that they can be added, I think we kind of are supposed to just extrapolate like oh, now that Megan knows that things can cause her harm from inside her family unit, yeah, she has to self-preserve. Yeah. And and that's kind of uh, that's the thing you always see in these, you know. That's why Terminator happens. Yeah. You know, Skynet, it be, once well, you're self-aware, you don't want to die. Yeah. So so you you're going to self-preserve. Right. And and so that that I didn't really have uh have problems with that necessarily, but I I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. Small points and again it, it's a rebuttal that works. It, it's not that kind of movie. And w- yeah. we are here to have a good time and boy did I. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think if you can let it go. And I, and I understand where you come from. I disagree with the Ronnie Chang, but it, we're disagreeing a lot on performances lately, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. You have a, uh, I, you have a high threshold for shit. I get where you're coming from with that, too. The, the reason why that bothered me less is because some of his lines are kind of like dopey, dopey boss, like, yeah. have this on my desk by Monday, and it's kind, yeah. of, it's kind of like generic dialogue. Um, but he does have a lot of really funny lines, um, like uh, when they're doing some presentation and they're like, Megan's great for everyone, even if you don't have dead parents or something yes, similar yes, to that. Yeah, and, absolutely. and so like even even like his his weird delivery kind yeah. of worked in his favor sometimes because it just made the lines so like dumb right, in a well, way that was extra funny. You know, I love I mean? it because he's I mean, he's the CEO, but he's like he's a salesperson and he doesn't know how any of this works. He doesn't care how any of this works. His bottom line is, can he sell this to somebody? Can he do? And so his his lines are vacuous and they're kind of silly because that's who he is. He's he's a. I just need a hook a, to, to yeah. sell to people. What right, can right. I? How can I push this on so and so? You know what yeah. I mean? So it it kind of uh, made me a little lenient to some of the, some of the line <laughs> deliveries for sure. Yeah. Sh- uh, 
<laughs> guest Sean McLean and I today were talking about it, and we got into a lengthy conversation about the corporate liability for the murders. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> I, I guarantee you, it was a little more boring than we need Very to get into nice. now. Very nice. I, w- final thing, I just want to throw in there. I mean, I, th- I think we've covered a lot, a lot of what's there, and, and I think it sounds like we're unanimous that this is a film people should uh, should check out if they haven't already. It's a lot of fun, but. Um, I was really impressed with a couple of the music cues here where there there was a Charlotte Gainsbourg song <laughs> that they used, Deadly Valentine, that I have, like, for, it's, for a decade, it's been, like, a favorite of mine of hers, and I just was floored when that showed up, and I was like, they're using that song! I love this song! Nobody likes this song! Be, or no, nobody cares about this song. I've never talked to anybody who likes it. Um, and then also that the one that I think actually was in the trailer that got a little bit, um, that, that helped the thing go viral a little bit that uh, I think it's the Scat Brothers Walk the Night song, which is like a kind of deep cut disco track from the late 70s. Really great, uh, you know, music. And the score itself, uh, the composer on it was, uh, oh, who was it? I just had that name. Uh, I can't find it right now. Oh, Anthony Willis. Don't really know him from his other work or anything, but I thought did a nice job here in a lot of different styles because we're talking about the scores for those uh, pet commercials, a couple songs that they made for the film that uh, you know uh, Jenna Davis, the the voice actor for Megan, did it, and it's all you know I think pretty pitch perfect. So from from a soundtrack standpoint, I really enjoyed this. At, at one point, Megan sings Katy Perry. Yes. And when she sang uh, Titanium, the whole theater was just like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's just such oh, a yeah. good pun. <laughs> oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, um, and I appreciate a good, uh, like, a robot enemy, you know, that takes damage through the movie and has multiple layers. Yeah. You know, um, you know that we, of course, there's going to be a final showdown where, where they fight her and it has to be kind of, you know, up the stakes okay and so she, when she gets kind of hit in the head and you see the scalp split and there's yeah. metal underneath and so you're like okay we have a another version it's not just going to be kind of her like porcelain face for this whole movie there's going to be kind of some scalp missing and and sparks coming out but at a certain point her whole face gets ripped off and yeah. it's all just like cpu and lights and bits underneath um and it, it was very uh reminiscent of like the first terminator you mm-hmm. know where they'll take some damage to the face and then you see like kind of the red laser sight eye underneath the underneath the skin get becomes revealed and i appreciate that and uh when a, a robot becomes damaged you know as your villain and it keeps coming but like with with scars that that stack up over time you know what i mean yeah yeah good point no i think and i think they do that well you see those layers get peeled back and and ultimately you know the the way she's undone there has to do with like getting to that like core piece right that that actually with the heart of this uh creature you know yeah as her which she sets up earlier telling her how uh the bigger robot bruce works oh and this is his brain all his thoughts go here yeah and of course now you know later the little girl knows to pierce that so it's like it's all kind of uh set up and pay off yeah you know yeah, Akila Cooper here, the the screenwriter, um, I think di- did a really nice job with with this script. We've already mentioned a number of the lines. I think it's a very quotable film. There's a lot of great one-liners. It's smart. There, there's lots of great callbacks to things that happened earlier in the film, later in the film. Um, and I think what, had she she did *Malignant* as well, if I'm not mistaken. I think she was the writer behind that. So, 
I mean, that, that's kind of cool. I love it when there's a new, you know, kind of storytelling voice there sure. as well. And Gerard Johnstone, I don't really, ha, has anybody seen his film Housebound? I have not. Okay. No, I, not yet. It's yeah. on my watch list, but. I know that's what, like, uh, uh, you know, Bloom, and the, they said that's why they picked him because mm -hmm. there was a good blend of comedy and horror in that one. I haven't seen it, but I, but based on this, I'm going to have to go back and check it out. Uh, okay, let's just like sequels, right? They're gonna make money. Let's just strip. Let's go straight to Chucky versus Megan, and then uh, you you would have double the dolls. <laughs> yeah, just like both of us are having double IPAs. Nice, Kyle. Though. You had double the mango oh, as well. Shit. Remind <laughs> us what. Remind <laughs> us what you're drinking, and tell us all about it. The uh, double mango, double IPA from Hamilton Family Brewing. Uh, brewery and uh i i like this one a lot the uh obviously with the double ipa you know you're kind of expecting a little heavier you know strong stronger malt stronger bitters from the from the hops um but the mango flavor kind of is a good center to balance out both those things you know it's not like too malty or too bitter the the like mango base in the center keeps it very uh uh drinkable palatable Nice. you know throughout and it, it doesn't I, get overpowering it, it, and you it, wouldn't even notice at a 8.2 you nice. wouldn't you wouldn't notice that it is you know because it drinks a lot smoother than that i would i would guess this more around a, maybe like a six and a half or so you know yeah, what when, I mean? when they throw in those sweeter adjuncts like mango they really can mask the alcohol taste there yeah they, mm -hmm. you, you do get that um I, i'm jealous i wish we had that here oh uh, yeah i mean it, it sounds very tasty mm -hmm. and, and i and i think you've you've done a service to hamilton uh, family brewing there uh get, getting the good word out i'm definitely going to be looking for their beers here in the future um houston hayes is as joe said earlier kind of become a shelf staple for us here in our market um as a, as a hazy ipa that we can always have access to this double version of that the houston hazier my first time with it and I, I read it's their first anniversary of Houston Hayes' existence. That was a celebration beer they made for oh. Houston Hayes' first year being in existence. Very nice. So we'll do the double. Now we're up to 9% ABV with this guy. Spin, and, spin. and I think, you know, similarly to what Kyle was saying about his beer, this one at 9%, I, you know, if you handed this to me, I wouldn't have been guessing that. It, the double IPA sometimes to get there to that ABV, I've said this before, can go really too far with the maltiness for me. Mm -hmm. This doesn't happen here. This mm -hmm. is still a fairly light malt bill, it feels like. It's a bit of a hop assault, though. It is. It's a, And the thing, Spindle Tap is kind of known for that. And I feel like this actually has benefited. This can, I think if I'm correct... The canning date is 9 12 2022. Mm -hmm. So four we're almost four months, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, which, which for some people would be too long. Like, okay, an IPA, you should be drinking it fresher than that. You want the hops mm -hmm. kind of all there. But honestly, with this, I think they've probably come down enough in terms of their, you know, the, the, the bitterness and, and even some of the other, you know, there's almost like a chalky element that can kind of come in there. I'm not getting that here. I think this is this comes across as pretty balanced to me. How do you feel? It's pleasant. It's uh, a nice idea that they celebrated the Houston Hayes, which we do enjoy as much as we do, with something even a little more special, a little more strong, probably a lot more hops and malt. But it, it is very, very balanced. I would drink this any time. 
uh, and at the nine percent, I'm I'm feeling pretty good and ready to move on into some more cerebral territory. Right. Well, double IPAs, double movies, um, always on beer in a movie. So we'll be tackling another futuristic doll movie. There you go. <laughs> when we come back from the break. Exciting. Uh, excitement never ends here on Beer in a Movie because you get a first movie, but you always get a second movie too. Mm-hmm. And we try to tie those movies together in some sort of thematic way or, or maybe a connection between, you know, uh, actor, director, whatever. Um, and I think we have a pretty good tie in here, but, but in a very different set of tones at play, sure. I think. So it, it'll be an interesting conversation, but. If we're going to get into this heady material yes. in the second half... Let's ramp up the ABV. I'm with you. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Kyle, are you ramping up ABV over there? Oh, I hadn't even checked ABV on this guy. <laughs> Let's see here. ABV be damned. Where is it? Nope. This is a 6.5. Okay. Um, he's so he's going to mellow a... out here. Okay, you be, you be the referee. You're going to be the most clear-headed. <laughs> so this is... Uh... Bottle Logic Brewings, uh, sure. Nectar of the Night. Oh, nice. And this is a tart ale brewed with blood orange and raspberry. And uh, I know nobody can see that, but there's great can art featuring this vampire. Oh, that is oh, that is some great can art. Pretty badass. Absolutely. I uh, wish everybody could see that one. Well, Maybe we'll, I'll, we'll... I'll send you guys a clear picture of it. For sure. We'll share that on social media for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, crack that open. I'm, I bet it's going to pour blood red. Uh, my son was in town. Ooh, yeah, oh, it pretty, sure pretty is. Red, yeah. Beautiful. It's, it's that sour ale, so you can. See it's it's not. It's it's pretty transparent uh, from what I can see on Zoom here, but uh, nice carbonation, and I bet it smells delicious. You you gotta love when the head is also kind of pinkish. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I I love when the the head kind of picks up the same color as as the brew itself. You know, you, whether it be dark or or a. Uh, on a sour kind of reddish, you know. My yeah. son uh, was in town uh, Christmas break. Yeah. Uh, and we went to HEB, our grocery store, together and tried to uh, picked up some beers for New Year's Eve. And my HEB uh, closest to my house is not a great craft place. But he wanted IPAs, and we settled on Lagunitas. And I gave him my whole spiel. I've done it on the show a couple of times about how Lagunitas is, of course, majority, majority owned by Heineken, uh, I think they got acquired back in 2017 or so, and um, my thoughts on this are that it's not going to be my go-to any longer because Lagunitas for a while was a very, like, yeah, well-respected shelfie in my refrigerator. Uh, I don't buy it often, but I will still drink it until I begin to notice a degradation in flavor or quality. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to say that still, it's pretty pretty darn good. Their their IPA. So I was excited, David, when you said that Daniel Benavides, our friend and loyal listener and uh, beer patron saint magnate, uh, handed you this Lagunitas Woodshop series, the Willetized W I L L E T T Willetized Coffee Oak 
aged in rye oak barrels. At their website, they say that their friends over at Kentucky's own Willet Distillery have one kind of barrel, wood, and they put two things in them, bourbon and rye. So they got their hands on some of those bourbon barrels and put this special coffee-fied version of their rye imperial barrels. stout. What does it say? I don't know. You got. We have the rye one. Here. Uh, their website here says bourbon. Well, you're looking at the bourbon. Yeah, you're right. That. This yeah. does say uh, aged in rye oak barrels, and it's a 13.1 Kyle, sorry Oof. you're not here to, to join this. Join I know. You doubled me. Even though we have 12 ounces to split between us, we could probably use a third here. <laughs> Bring it down to four ounces a piece. But we'll, somehow we'll get through this. Um, <laughs> and I've, you know, I've had versions of this in the past. I, I think I've had, because as you were reading, Joe, they, they do it in bourbon barrels as well. I've certainly had that one. I don't know if I've had the rye version in the past or not. Um, but But this is one kind of... For me up there with Bourbon County, where it, it's sort of been a reliable, like if I can get my hands on, this usually comes in four packs here, um, a four pack of this, I'm going to do it because these are really fun that, you know, split with two or three people, uh, and it just deep, dark, rich, super, you know, layered in terms of their flavors. Well, we're getting north of 12. I always love to ask boozy on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yep. Check. There's, there is no mistaking that there is whiskey involved in this. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about this. Thank yeah. you for bringing it to me. Preparatory. So question: Willetized? Yeah. Is that is that that's just to to mean that they use the the, the barrels Willet from barrels. Willet themselves? Yeah. Right. I think gotcha. so. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like tonight's episode is Kyleized. Uh, Ferguson. That makes there sense. There you go. Yeah. For <laughs> Fergusoned. Yeah, Ferguson. Right. Um, <laughs> Kyle, you're going to stick around for after hours. I hope. Oh, absolutely. Good. I want to catch up with you on Very everything good. we talked about the last time since the last time you were here. Yeah. So yeah. let's just dive right into the next film. Well, I said we're going we're going in a heady direction here because we're doing another um, you know futuristic doll film, and one that has artificial intelligence baked into it. Mm -hmm. In fact, we're doing the film AI hyphen artificial intelligence. That that's the official title. Colon. I, I, yeah. Is it colon or hyphen? I th I don't know. Um, in any case, I'm gonna uh, check. <laughs> Letterbox <laughs> actually has neither. Okay, it's no, a I guess dot it's a, I dot artificial intelligence. I think you're right. With no I colon, right. With no colon, no hyphen. It's just yeah. all. In I think that's Kubrick's uh, take on the whole thing. Is it? He yeah. said punctuation. Well, that was a great surprise. Right. I'm fucking around. <laughs> that was a, a great surprise say? upon hitting play to see like part of the presents you know, at the beginning it says and kubrick and i'm like excuse me yeah <laughs> i was not that, i hadn't this is a first time watch for me oh that's wonderful oh is that right i mm -hmm. so i just i'll give a brief synopsis sure. and then we can get into it because i had a very different eight i'm <laughs> we we haven't belabored it with kyle but kyle is much closer in age to our former co-host uh carlos cooper yeah who we would repeatedly talk about how our decades plus you know difference in age Get, made our relationship to certain films very different. You Th know, that never annoyed him. No, never annoyed him. Ne never became a point of contention. But, uh, but you know, I think something similar is going on here because I remember the build up to this one. At least for me and other people I knew who were into films, being very excited that, about oh, this idea. Film, of film fans rejoice. Kubrick was long gestated this project right. and handed it to Steven Spielberg, 
And then, of course, upon Kubrick's death, Spielberg said, okay, I'll finally do this. Right, right. So in any case, this is a film um, that is based on a short story that I have still never read, and I, and I really probably should at some point because I've meant to for so long, but Brian Aldiss wrote it. It's called Super Toys Last All Summer Long. Um, but, but the basic premise is here you have a grieving, well, <laughs> grieving might not be the right term, but a troubled couple who have a child that is being kept in a cryogenic state of stasis mm -hmm. um, because they are waiting for some uh, medical breakthrough to be able to help heal him from whatever this malady that he has is. And in that interim, the husband happens to work for uh, this corporation that creates cyborgs or, or advanced uh, artificial intelligence robots. Right. Um, and they're rolling out a new model or they're, they're testing a new model that is actually going to be a child, which is not something that they've done in the robot field before in this you know, version of the future. Um, but they're doing it explicitly with the idea that this will be a robot capable of experiencing something akin to human love, um, attachment to a parent, parental figure. Right. So this, this was meant to be something to replace a child for people. So here are these people who are in this moment where their child is in this cryogenic stasis the husband works at the company. They're seen as this perfect sort of test couple to do this with. The husband brings it home. Um, the, after some initial trepidation on the part of the, the wife here, played by Frances O'Connor, Monica, um, it, the, the child uh, played by Haley Joel Osment, the child robot, David, is eventually accepted into the family, um, stays with them for some time, does some bonding, but then the medical breakthrough happens. There are biological child comes back home there is sibling rivalry um, tensions between them and that eventually sends david off into uh no man's land a journey on his own yeah. modeled after pinocchio very overtly yeah. <laughs> a, a story that comes up in the film a and, story and, that we discussed twice not, that's not right we, we've been talking a lot of pinocchio lately well she um, takes him back she was she's she's ordered not ordered she says i'm taking him back for him to be decommissioned or whatever but on the way there says i, I don't want to quote unquote kill him right so basically dumps him in the woods like a stray dog like yeah. many people do with their stray animals horrible and uh now david is alone with the intellect uh, of a nine-year-old right nine-ish you know child i think he's supposed to be 11 but okay still so, yeah. young, uh, young. Uh, and um one prime directive of loving these people that I have been attached to through right. the attachment protocol. Mm -hmm. And I can't undo that programming. So therefore I must, it's gotta be a quest to, I must do what I need to do to, to find my mother. And based on his knowledge of the Pinocchio story believes that him becoming real is going to be the key to becoming acceptable to his mother again mm -hmm. and be, being able to go back to his mother. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's a journey. He, he, you know, he meets friends along the way, um, tries to achieve this realness, yeah. and th that's where we go. And it's interesting because while we do, we are given Megan's point of view, like we're, 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 we're asked to look at it from her point of view. This entire film is from the AI's point of view, not the... Uh, the humans around him, although you do see some of that, and that's some of the inciting action is the humans around him that make these decisions. But a majority of the film is, what is David's point of view? What is the AI's point of view on this thing? Which makes it, I think, 
sim- that's one of the main differences between Megan and this. Well, absolutely, and and also I think at the at the core here, this robot is is you know is programmed to do one thing: love, not protect necessarily. So there's no danger of him turning into a rogue killer, right? You know, one, one would think based on this programming that's gone on. Um, but it, him trying to understand what humans are doing in their lives, w- what they're using robots for, and then what other robots are for, you know, right. is, it all kind of plays into that. So, th- you know, th- th- as I said before, this is one that I remember because, you know, Kubrick died, was it 99? Yeah, right, it was 99. Um, Eyes Wide Shut came out shortly thereafter. It was gonna be the final Kubrick film. And I remember reading about, oh, but this long gestating project is gonna be picked up by Steven Spielberg, which, you know, for me as a, budding cinephile who had grown up on Spielberg, loving Spielberg, but was starting to get that like, you know, that little pushback, like, well, no, but he does maudlin sentimental films that, you know, like they aren't smart films. These are like crowd pleaser films. I, I Kubrick does he has, he's thinking. Got a, he's got an eye films. for film, like geography and, you know, uh, mise-en-scene. Yeah. He does. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. There's a sappy emotionalism that kind of accompanies his work. Right. And, and so I was, it was sort of prime time for me to be looking at this both with great excitement and anticipation, but also a certain amount of concern that, oh, but wait, is he going to take this thing that Kubrick had and was working with that could have been like a really kind of darker statement right. on human there's documentaries on youtube and stuff that yeah i just totally no no go ahead no you. go ahead go ahead that that talk that shows um the artwork done under kubrick's yeah. watch and so much of it is still in the final project yeah that's what's interesting to me is that spielberg seemed to work hard yeah. to keep the spirit of what kubrick had presented him with this is as far as i've gotten in the development right. of this in it yeah, but, there, but there's there, a Spielberg mean, layer, no doubt. You're right, and the behind-the-scenes stuff you can definitely see. There was there was a great, I think, great effort on the part of Spielberg to try to bring this to life as close to Kubrick's vision as he maybe could muster, but also needing to add some things because they hadn't been fully fleshed out, and there were sections of the film I think in particular that just hadn't been fully imagined. Yeah. But nonetheless, it was one that I went into with all that baggage sitting there, and I remember being somewhat confused by it at the time. Not not confused in that I didn't understand the oh, plot sure. of the film, but confused by like, how am I supposed to feel about it? Yeah. What is and, the point of this? Yeah, and, and not feeling very pleased by it. I will say my, my feelings about it have changed over the years, but I'm gonna leave it there for the moment because I'm kind of curious to hear, Kyle, you coming the into first this time fresh um, and not knowing until you started it that it was had this Kubrick connection. What were you thinking mm-hmm. going into it? Um, so go, going into it, just thinking Spielberg, I feel like I was kind of expecting uh, the the entire runtime to kind of be the the sappy story of a robot learns to love, and mm. at the end there's going to be a big cry moment. And you know, I, I was just like, oh, that seems like a that seems like a long movie. There's got to be some some uh, more meat on it than than what I was expecting. And I mean, and the fuck, meat came. Is... The meat came in the form of Jude Law Gigolo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which <Gigolo Joe. laughs> I I feel like I feel like thinking about this in terms of one man starting a project, handing it off, and someone else finishing it, kind of makes uh, the whole thing make more sense to me in terms of I don't know. It was weird. Um, I, I, w- I was 
in it at the beginning, um, you know, as we're kind of learning the, the setting and what brought humanity to kind of this point, you know, we've got the, the oceans rising up and, you know, obviously we've, we've burnt the word, uh, the earth out, um, kind of the way that we have, you know, in real, in reality, um, and so I, I, automatically that's an interesting setting for this to be in, you know, the circumstances to set it. And uh, then when we introduce, you know, that the AI himself, David, um, my first thought was uh, Alien Covenant and Prometheus because mm. David is Fassbender, you know, and in, in, in those movies. And yeah. so, I, so immediately I'm drawing parallels between like AI David's and so I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Like we're we're in for it. You know, we've got our setup. There's some kind of like uh, silly hijinks of him like popping up and annoying the mom, you know, and making weird faces because he's an AI and he's like a little unsettling to look at. His kind of stoic, unfeeling face, and he's got like maybe has a, a smile on, but you can tell it's just like a. I'm supposed to smile because my programming is telling me to. There's not like a lot behind it. So it's like a little uncanny valley. And so I'm like, okay, I'm into this so far. And then around the point that he gets abandoned, it turns into a weird adventure movie hmm. um, for a good portion where it just like, if you like read off the plot beat by beat to somebody, they'd be, what the fuck? You know, because it, <laughs> because it takes so many weird turns. Um, the, the, what do they call it? The flesh, flesh, the fair? flesh fair. Yes. Yeah. That was such a, like a With weird interesting playing. idea where these, these people are essentially like torturing these robots, right. you know, tor or I guess, I guess it's up to the viewer to decide if it's torture or not, you know, do these things feel, yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, um, how comfortable are you with watching like not sentient beings kind of being taken apart? um and like kind of grotesque ways like somebody gets like burnt with acid and you know there's there's a lot of like weird weird violence going on to these androids chris rock um, shows and, up and yeah chris rock shows up which is terrifying because i'm like midway through a saw franchise rewatch <laughs> and so knowing chris rock's eventually going to show up i'm just like chris rock what the hell um you're everywhere <laughs> yeah there's yeah i can't escape him. yeah no there there was uh a lot going on and and that whole center part of the movie was a lot more uh bright you know there's a lot of like neon and a lot of action well, the look changes you know, with these the, really... the cars were super yeah. interesting you know we were in kind of this near future where where the cars looked like weird tricycles you know with like yeah. kind of shells around them you know yeah. and and so like watching all that in the center of the film I was thinking, okay, this seems very disjointed. Um, like I was like following it plot wise through, but just as a film, it felt disjointed. And then we hit the kind of the ending, um, which we haven't discussed too much yet, but no. like um, yeah, it, it feels like a kind of return to form, you know, the, the kind of cold clinical, everything's kind of blue and white. Um you know, shot in kind of a weird way where that looks like almost symmetrical, like I'm used to from like Kubrick shining type shots, yeah. you know? And so I was like, this, this is weird. Um, it felt like the, 
there was a bunch of like parts that seem kind of disconnected from each other thematically it all works yeah um i don't know i'm i'm still trying to decide how i feel yeah. about it you know it's, what i mean I, it throws a lot at you i mean that's i, I and i think that's part of what I, you know i was saying earlier when i saw this film with all the anticipation all the build up that i had and and you know finally getting to see it in the theater when it came out I remember just feeling like, wow, I feel like I didn't just watch a film. I watched like three different films that got kind of smushed together. And even though, yes, like I, I can follow everything that's going on in the plot and everything, it has such distinct looks to these different sections of the film, distinct sets of characters, mm -hmm. all this stuff that I, you know, and, and that final segment that, that you just touched on there, you know, the last 20 to 30 minutes of the film, feeling so kind of separate and almost like this, at least initially, and I, and I think I've changed a little bit in how I think about this, but I remember at the time seeing it, you know, back in, in the early 2000s, thinking of it as sort of this weird, like, tacked-on coda to the film to try to make up for... You're talking about him underwater looking at the yes. statue? Okay, yeah. Well, it, and then what that turns into, oh, the... where the advanced robots right. recreate the home... What is the name of the, oh, the, the specialists? The specialists, right. Right. So, because, uh, plot-wise, uh, he seeking out his mother gets to Manhattan uh, in a helicopter that he and Jude Law steal and um, that never runs out of energy and it's the future and so they find the original builder of David and that that's where the, the company is still operating right. out of a higher level skyscraper because halfway up is underwater um, and he is so when he learns at that point that the blue fairy, the, the Pinocchio figure, does not exist with the his own maker, he, I guess, is so despondent that he does the robot version of it, trying to kill himself and just, like, fall jumps right. off of a building into the sea. And also he sees that he's not unique, right? There's, right. There's hundreds of Davids. And then what's Assembly the female line. version? The Is it? Darlene? Darlene, Darlene yes. Yeah. David and Darlene. Yeah, right. And it, it breaks him. Because yes. he, he thought that he was he was unique and special and lovable and right. no I'm a commodity. Right. Yeah. Right. So he takes that helicopter that they've commandeered. He and Teddy. We haven't talked about Teddy. That's a super toy that is a basically Teddy Ruxpin, but can walk and talk. But a hyper intelligent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of his his conscience a little bit. Uh, yeah. The Jiminy, Jiminy Cricket, Cricket a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, but they get trapped at a uh, Coney Island. Uh, the Ferris, underwater, the Ferris a, a wheel submerged. falls on top yeah. of the of the of the vessel, the vehicle that they've got, but it's right parked right in front of a blue princess statue that he interprets as the blue fairy, and then narrator. And two thousand years went by. The sea froze. Right. The the climate change continues at a more rapid rate. Then all of a sudden, these like close encounter type looking alien type, but they are we are learned to learn advanced. AI. Yeah. The robots have continued to advance. There are no humans, and they get super excited when they find David because he is a one degree of separation, a link, right? a link, a link to, to humanity. To the human history, yeah, right. And it's 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 heady. And I remember yeah. in two thousand and one when it came out, being as confused, David, is a good word. Yeah, I was the same way. It, it it didn't hit me as a Kubrick movie. It didn't hit me as a Spielberg movie. It, I could see elements of both directors, and I didn't feel like the story had 
satisfied me much at all. Yeah. Then two years ago, three years ago, I'm home alone, flipping through whatever streaming services, and there it was. And I said, I haven't watched this in a long time. And I had a completely different experience with it. And the only thing that I can think of is that the technology that we live in helped helped bridge the gap that we were looking at too far of a future back in 2001 mm -hmm. and only 22 short years later it has a, there's no davids and there's no megans in real life but it, it, the technology of ai is so pervasive uh, and now even two or three years later from that experience watching it for, for yeah. tonight this movie gets better every time i watch it yeah I, it's grown in esteem for me as well. Like the, the confusion that I felt when I first saw it, I, I don't think I returned to this film again for a few years. I mean, it was probably closer to 2010 that I saw it again. Um, and I remember liking it more, but it's probably been since then for me to now see it this you know third, maybe fourth time to, to get ready for this. And I really did. I, I think I took much more out of it. Now, I don't think it's a perfect film by any stretch. Mm -hmm. I think that there's there's a clunkiness to these kind of segments of the film that I and I don't know how to overcome that. I think this is a big story that he's trying to tell that Kubrick was trying to tell. And I think that might have been part of why Kubrick was working on this for 30 plus years without, you know, getting it finished and why Spielberg kind of, you know, had to pick it up there. Um, but, but there's some stuff going on. There's, it's, it's more subtle than I think I gave it credit for. I think in particular, like, you know, that first section of the film, the first act of the film where it's David being introduced to the family, getting integrated, uh, initially being, you know, initially being accepted by Monica, but then that becoming problematic when the biological son returns and all that, like there is this gauziness to it. And, and there is kind of a, you know, this almost like kind of romantic imagery, but it's constantly undercut by the fact that, you know, as Kyle was pointing out, th this performance that Osman is doing, is, is delivering, is really pretty impressive. You know, I said in the first half, I was impressed by how they integrated all these different parts to make the Megan character work in Megan. Here, it's kind of the opposite. You're taking this really complicated robot character that you would think would need all these different pieces to actually be pulled off and come across as uncanny and come across as that. And Osmond does it. Like he was a really gifted young actor at the time that I don't know if I gave full credit to in that moment. Sure. You know what I mean? Because I had like breakout success was so sense, ubiquitous. Right? I, and which I had liked mm -hmm. and everything, but I, but this is really tough kind of performance to nail. I don't know if I could imagine anybody else doing it as well as he does it here where there is something just, you know, both like almost programmed about him and unsettling, but then at times like endearing and you could kind of, you know, connect with the character in the way that the mother, you know, ultimately does connect with him at times and finds this funny. And I don't know. So, so I think that that's great. And there's, so there's a dark, there's a darker quality that to that first act than I acknowledged at the time. And it isn't like it just flips a swish switch and it becomes darker in that second act where we go into, you know, these places like Rouge City where, you know, it's it's a red light district. It's a, you know, there, there's prostitution. There's, you know, and it's this darkness that you don't normally get in a Spielberg film necessarily. But it was kind of there in the first act as well with the kind of weird, like, you know, she's so upset with the husband bringing home this doll, but then eventually kind of succumbs to it and kind of takes it on. And then the kind of weird sibling rivalry relationship that plays out, which was very interesting talking about it with my um, 
my 13 year old, we were, we were watching it together and, you know, she really felt, and I'm, I keep saying the, the, what's the character's name? The, the boy, the brother. Yeah. Um, uh, Kyle. Does anybody remember? No. Uh, gosh, I should have looked at it. Anyway, uh, Martin, Martin, thank you. The other, um, the other kid you mean? Right. You yeah. Know, the, the son that, the son that got replaced is, is Martin. Right. And, you know, I've always thought of, and I still, I think of Martin as a little shit, you know, like, but she was like, no, that's totally, that's totally called for. If somebody tried to replace you with a robot and then you come home, you would be justified. You would be justified in being a jerk. (laughs) You tried to be replaced. So I, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's more complexity to what's going on. Like where I think when I first saw it, I felt like, okay, you have this kind of, maudlin sentimental spielberg section at the beginning and then you have this darker kubrickian center to the film where we see him go on this dark pinocchio journey and then we end it with something like a more maudlin sentimental version of of an end that coop that uh that spielberg would give us i don't think that's really what's going on i think there's a lot more mixing between those things than i was able to acknowledge at the time sure um that there there was like some some parts like i was talking about this disjointedness um what did you guys think about dr no <laughs> robin williams as yeah dr. No. i think that the internet and google uh, eradicates that as a plot point today but i know what spielberg was thinking at the time yeah. was it's like that... ask jeeves if jeeves was a guy that's right yeah. if, if jeeves was a booth <laughs> that you went into rather than your phone or your desk now i'm going to ask and like it it seemed um... robin williams we should say is the voice of this um, kind of booth that you go into yeah. where you can ask it anything and david uses uh, that opportunity to ask where to find the blue fairy it it seemed um now, like a modern modern Spielberg porn of reference. Uh, That's a very uh, Spielberg Ready, touch to me. Ready Player One seemed yeah. very like associated with that. It was kind of like, how do we ask this machine brain the right questions to get the answer that I'm looking for? Yeah. You know, and so they kind of have to go through a trial and error of, oh, I can't just ask this because it's going to spit out the first thing it thinks of. I have to right. kind of narrow it narrow down my search parameters and mm-hmm. watching the like couple machines converse with the other machine to get what they want you know in terms of yeah. human information was kind of it was interesting but i feel like nowadays that's a scene that would just be cut yeah you know because it's you don't want to have a whole 20 minute segment where somebody like goes somewhere just to ask so where's the next place i have to go and then they get told and then they leave you know what i mean it was interesting dynamics to watch but then when they left i'm like so what was that for though you know like what did you what did you guys take away from that i mean well i mean that's that's where um you know hobby the the william hurt character the creator of of david and this like he's planted the information there thinking that well everybody would go to this oracle right this right. is this is kind of this it and and i think there's a little bit of a I, and i remember thinking this when i first saw it like at a wizard of oz kind of quality sure. to it where like oh this it, can answer all of our questions and well it's a plot no. device in a robin williams cameo it feels Voice that way. Cameo. And like you say, Joe, I think time has not done this favors. I mean, with science fiction, you're always 
you're always up against the, okay, in this moment, how well can we predict what that future is going to look like? Well, 20 years later, that future is not going to look the same because we've had other technologies evolve. And like we're saying, you know, like, well, why doesn't he just Google it? Or why, why aren't they carrying phones with them and their smartphones with them and stuff? And, you know, it's, it, there's, Star Trek. There's that party. They that, are the smartphones, <laughs> right? That that you have to kind of say like, well, look, okay, this is imagining a future where those advances maybe didn't take hold in the way that they did at the. T I don't know. So you got to kind of get over that. I agree. That is, I still enjoy it. I think because, well, a, I love Robin Williams. So that so anything oh, yeah. that kind of brings him into a project, I'm I'm excited about. And the fact that you know, hearing his voice again, I'm I'm just always happy. But, you know, B, I think given that it kind of, it does have these other, you know, precedents in terms of like the Wizard of Oz and these other kind of, you know, Oracle figures that maybe have inhabited other films and other stories of sorts, like where we need to seek out the wise one who's going to be able to tell us what the answer to this thing is. I'm willing to go with it. But, you know, if, if I was writing this script today or if I was reading somebody's script that they had written, I would say like, I would really question that and say like, well, why would they go there? Wouldn't they? <laughs> so, so I hear, I hear where you're coming from. Just to kind of be redirected to, it's like a, having a main character go, so what's my next plot point I need to hit? And yeah. somebody's saying, well, the next plot point you need to hit is X or Y. And then they're yeah. like, okay, I'm going to go do X or Y. And then they go do yeah. X or Y, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. It, I, I enjoyed it while it was happening. Mm -hmm. um, I just like felt it actively adding length to the movie because it is yeah, long. It you is. Know, you, you guys mentioned it's like hours. two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's pretty lengthy. And there were some segments where I did feel like not it dragged or like it needed to be cut, but I was just kind of like waiting for it to all line up or connect, yeah. you know, yeah. and like, Hoping, uh, talking through it with you guys will help me decide where I fall on some of these <laughs> little bits. You know what I mean? What I did I like the, like I said, the flush fair. I already loved that. You know, that was very like Cronenberg. You know, like okay, we've taken the tech too far, but now we have the the consequences of it. Well, that and you now know, you're looking at this violence, robot human on robot violence, like straight straight to your face, and like right. how do you feel about it? And that it's feels like very authentic. That that feels real. That feels human to me. It's like, yes, there will always be a part of the population that like, you know, pushes back against whatever this advancement is. Yeah. Like these people who hate robots right. and think that they and you know, well, and not they're just right robots. There. Not just robots, but like there there's a line where they said, Oh, they have to they have to do these things to the robots to kind of make themselves feel like they still have control over their right. world. Right. And it, it felt very um, like you could put like kind of any minority group in that position and think like, OK, so white patriarchy is doing X and Y to Z group just to kind of uh, feel they have control again. Yeah. yeah. Like oh, we're pushing we're pushing others down to stay on top type of type of thing, you know, yeah, and so absolutely. you can kind of apply it universally across a bunch of different uh you know, groups or ethnicities and or anything like that. Jude Law tells the Haley Joel Osment character, they hate us because we will outlast them and they know it. You know, like we've, we created this thing, it's Terminator, and then it got, 
away from us. And right. now we're wrestling with this thing that we created. But what I love, so again, you know, we talked about in the first half, Megan. We talked about Terminator in relationship to, to, to Megan. And, the, and a lot of those stories that we tell about artificial intelligence are about how the artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence will turn on us. But here is a story where it isn't artificial intelligence that turns on us. It's humans who undo themselves through climate disaster, sure. right? I mean, that, that's, that's what undoes the humans in, in this version mm -hmm. of the future. And the reason that robots sort of persist and why they're able to advance and everything is because they don't have the same kind of physical limitations that we do, right? right. I mean, as, as human bodies. So the, I, I kind of love that this film has a somewhat unique spin on what that you know, human apocalypse is going to be is that, you know, there will be these parts of what we've done technologically that may be able to outlast us, not because they'll undo us themselves, but because we'll undo ourselves and they will be able to last through that. When E.T. When e. came out, I saw it in the theater. I was eight years old and I cried because E.T., you, you made me fall in love with this thing and then sure. you killed it. And then like Jesus, it came back from, to, from the dead. <laughs> um. And I thought, well, that's just me as a little boy upset that that the alien died. Mm -hmm. So ashen and white and pitiful. That's sad. Uh, but then I learned through time that Spielberg has got a bag of tricks that makes me cry. And the uh, color purple. And, and it's, uh, it's, I, I, I need to do some analyzing as to what is this filmmaking technique. Mm -hmm. that has brought me to this place and then this event occurs an image is on the screen that then is the light switch mm. that the, in this movie when i first saw it and the two times i've seen it since it's when um martin the asshole brother uh sends david in to cut a lock of hair uh oh, for yeah. his mom at night and what he's really doing is trying to set up a situation where david's approaching her with scissors while she sleeps and that's dangerous. nobody wants that. No, who wants to wake up and see that? But the lock of hair that he does indeed cut falls to the floor, and Teddy, Teddy, the little robot, uh, teddy bear robot, conscious robot, sees that happen. Then later on, the specialists are explaining that we, if we cannot bring your mother back, although we'd love to, because <laughs> we require DNA from her, a fingernail perhaps. And Teddy says, David, do you remember when you cut the hair? I do. And he just pulls, the, <laughs> he, he rips himself open and he pulls the hair out that he saved the entire time. And when he does that, yeah, it just works for me. Yeah. Abandonment issues, most likely David and Kyle yeah. is what's going on here. But um, it is uh, a beautiful scene in a stunningly visually beautiful movie in many, many times. Even the robot's death scenes or the junkyard where they're just rummaging through junk trying to find spare parts for themselves. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's nonsensical. Yeah. But it's so emotionally created. I, I think this movie, its disjointedness works for it because we're watching a disjointed story. Uh, I, and, and, and maybe even uh, at a... At a at a more profound level, that life is disjointed, right? I mean, like, we, he, he has this pursuit that, that he has in mind. I mean, he's given the purpose of loving, right? And he's loving Monica and wants to feel that connection with her. But love isn't a one-way street, right? Love has to be reciprocal. And I think the, the tragedy of the film is that 
she's able to discard him when she needs, you know, like she decides that she needs to discard him and she's able to do that. And so the love is kind of broken. Now, what we see come back with the specialists at the end and what felt like this kind of potentially superfluous or this like sort of maudlin coda to the film, now I see is this kind of profound statement on, you know, like what, again, it reminding you what human love is about and that it has to be a reciprocal thing and that for him to have this final day with her to have this kind of experience yeah. with it culminates and it allows him to like fully realize this thing that he was built to do right but he's, he's also logical machine enough to know that this is not real and this is whatever so to me it's like and I, yeah i interrupted again no i'm just but he is sure but he's also willing to go with it because he, because I think love is this irrational thing, and it's and it's about this kind of connection that we have with others, and it's always temporary. Yeah. It can't last forever. People, you know, but in the moment he's able to have that experience. David's not capable not, of. Go ahead, Carl. Sorry. Oh no worries. Um, I was just going to say not just that love is illogical, but like since we're you're you're right you said at the beginning of this like david is like our main character and everything's from his point of view so i'm kind of like talking myself through the entire length of the movie again from his point of view and like honestly things being disjointed is because our character doesn't have any um uh what's the word he doesn't have any like context for what any of this shit means good point good point. so when you're like seeing things happen our main character's like yeah and <laughs> because he doesn't have any all he's built for is to love his mom right and that's it yeah anything else we see him undergo is just extra for him to get there somehow you know yeah. yeah and so when i'm seeing like parts not connect well yeah they're not connecting for him he doesn't have any like way to understand you know how shitty human beings are what yeah. we've done to our environment what we do to people we feel like are beneath us what we feel we have to do to robots that we feel are beneath us. He doesn't have any context for any of it. Right. So like, I guess the entire middle feeling like, like, uh, or like not the entire middle, but like, there's a lot of parts where I was just like, well, why is this here? Well, our main character is probably thinking that too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, and, I think and then works. at the end, you know, with them, you know, at the beginning, the mom replaces her son with a fake son. And at the end, the fake son replaces the real mom with a fake mom. Yeah. And yeah. they both kind of, you know what? They, both, they both kind of get what they need out of it in the moment. But that's like, right. yeah, that's well yeah, said. Yeah, that's it's it's more fulfilling when I think of it in terms of the main character's point of view. Yeah. Then, which is not a human point of view, and 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 so it is yeah. a more challenging. But I think you're exactly right, Kyle. You, I think you kind of have to change change how you're looking at it to make yeah. it all make sense. Yeah, that's why I said at the beginning it, it, we're looking at it from the AI's point of view. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. we're told early in the film that David doesn't sleep or dream, and then at the end, after the specialists have created this 24-hour experience with his mother again. He goes to sleep beside her, and, and the narrator says, then he went to that place where dreams exist. Yeah. Does that mean that the specialists <sighs> shut him off? Like, that's how I've always taken it, is that the specialists now turned him off. Yeah. Uh, you know, his robotness. He yeah. no longer exists. Or someone, I read an article, said that meant the specialists turned him into a real boy. I do not believe they have that capability. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to let David go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, 
I don't think I don't think that. I don't think there's no reason to do that. Now he's the lone human on the planet. uh, You know, right? I don't think he becomes a real boy because I mean, part of the whole thing with them like excavating and put and pulling out of the ice these things and trying to is they want to understand the human history better and that you know they feel connected to it because they are you know their origins are as human technology and so they i think you know they see it as part of their past and they have this interest in their sure you know i would love a whole movie about the specialists that would be fascinating to find out how somebody would you know play that out but the little that we know about them tells me that that's probably not the case that they have technology that could somehow make him you know an orga right that's the the terminology of this film is that you're a mecha when you're a robot you're you're a orga when you're when you're biologically human um but but that said i don't know like are they <laughs> joe is showing me yeah you were yeah. given in 1994 sylvester stallone and, <laughs> and sharon stone in the specialist you've got your movie already okay Dave. i gotta don't go back and it. do my homework sorry <laughs> oh man uh, but I don't know. I don't know that I feel any definitive way about what that statement means. I think poetically it works yeah. from a, from like a a poetic, you know, closing the narrative standpoint. Sure. That like as as his as this recreation of his mom goes to sleep and expires, there he lays next to her, totally fulfilled. He's he's actualized himself. That's his, right. His mission is no, I think you're right. Fulfilled. But I don't know what that means for and the, like the specialists are advanced enough to know that. Like in other yeah. words, I keep using prime directive. If your prime directive is to love your mother, and then you're, that that's going to be turn that's going to turn into finding your mother. We can provide that for you. Right. You've reached your prime directive. Now we can shut you down. Yeah. Because yeah. what else are you gonna do? And that's that's kind of what I was gonna say. If if so, if being human is just to love and be loved back. Mm-hmm. Then he did it, yeah. And Joe's and Joe's like second uh, postulation was, you know, then he's a real boy. I mean, I guess, yeah, to him, yeah. All he, you know, he did the human thing of loving and being loved back, and it didn't matter what the, you know, if the if the mom was a clone or whatever else. It just matters that he did the thing he was meant to do that made him think he was real. And so whether he got shut off or quote unquote died, he could, he, he says something earlier. I keep uh, catching these lines that are like throwaway lines or just blink and you miss it type lines. But he says something about, oh yeah, I don't, I don't sleep, but I can just lay real still. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. And so I think. I don't eat, but I like being on. at the table with you. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, I, I can't like actively participate in this, but I'll like do the bit. You know, right. and I I think that's what it was. Is at the end he's uh he already showed basically that he can sit there ostensibly praying to this quote unquote blue fairy underwater, you know, in like the frozen ocean mm-hmm. for years and years yeah. and years on end. And so for me, watching the ending, I took it kind of as they gave him his clone of a mom for 24 hours but he can just close his eyes and just lay there until time blinks out, you know, an yeah. eternity yeah. and just kind of live in that moment. And he's sustaining it himself by just keeping his eyes closed and believing it yeah. because he, his, his qu- whole quest for it proved that he was more than just a robot. Yeah. Kyle. So he did his bit. Kyle, I think you liked it. 
Yeah, I guess so, huh? <laughs> it's it's and this it's, whole this whole time I'm thinking, okay, well, there's a lot of parts that are weird or don't seem like they fit, but yeah, I'm glad, like, yeah, talking it through you guys with yeah. you guys, I mean, uh, kind of landed me on the on the side of I I appreciate all the things that it did, yeah. Uh, David and I extracurricularly are watching a lot of movies individually. I know that we are. And I checked out one that's hit a bunch of top 10 lists I've been looking at uh, seeing around called After Yang. And I, I wanted to bring it up because it would have been in our if – we if we knew what the content of After Yang was, I watched it after we'd already decided everything for this episode. We could have gone with this as a catch-up movie yeah. instead of AI. I'm glad we did AI. But After Yang uh, – I, I, I don't want to say too much in case we decide to review it. I recommend it. Uh, it's Colin Farrell, the year of Colin Farrell. We'll not be talking about that yeah. next week. A little Colin Farrell. <laughs> um, we're talking about Tar. We're talking about the Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah. Next well, week. and he and he also had the phone Batman booth. Sure. You guys uh, are doing phone booth. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> now that would be good. We go, we got to find a way to do that at some point. But <laughs> Colin Farrell does it again. It's a great performance. But it is the point of view. Okay, so imagine if David broke and the family was upset about it. That's what ha that's what after Yang is. And okay. the trailer tells you all this. There's no no big spoilers there. Yang is the David, uh -huh. and he breaks. And now the family has to come to terms with this thing that they love. Yeah. And it's a visually stunning movie. But I enjoyed that with Megan from the point of view of the humans that are, you know, that she belongs to. AI, the point of view of the um, when, by the way, Megan, when they when Megan turns and now they're in danger. AI from the point of view of the AI and the ethical um the ethical question is not, is it right to give a little girl a doll that she will outgrow or become too attached to in her grief? This is what happens to the AI when we dispose of it. Mm. And then after Yang is what do we, what does the, from the point of view of a family that is legitimately suffering uh, when their AI breaks, mm -hmm. it, it, what a interesting trio of films that are essentially the same but asking very different questions and with very different results from what I can yeah. tell. I mean, at least, you know, as we said, like Megan, the first half horror, um, horror, satire, mm -hmm. dark comedy hybrid. We've uh, come a long way since chopping mall. Yeah. And, and hey, Martin. I heard that's going to get a sequel now. I bet it does, but I bet those James Wan's talking about it. I bet those robots look a lot Man, different. And let, let, yeah. It, it, I mean, we didn't really labor yeah, on it. Barbara but, Crampton. <laughs> I mean, J James Wan, this he is just the sort of uh, you know horror magnate these days. I mean, in terms of all of the franchises he's launched at this point, and and now Megan, he's helped launch yet another. It it it's impressive. It's impressive stuff. I tell you what, horror magnates. I'm writing it down. We're going to talk about that in after hours. Yeah. Um, well, I hope that I can stick around for after hours because I did just drink six ounces of a, what was it? 13.1. Guys, am I making sense anymore? I don't know. Uh, Are you like making sense? Am I making sense is the question. <laughs> Have I gone on candy on us beer? Um, no, th this uh, Willitized, as I said before, um, you know, it's not my first time at the rodeo with this one, although it might be my first time with the rye oak barrel version because I do think I've had the bourbon in the past. Um, all the booziness on the nose, as we said, deep, dark, um, rich, 
all of it was there in the flavor. I I was pretty impressed by this, um, enjoying it. Joe, you were sipping yours a little more slowly. I'm kind of thinking maybe you're not as enamored with this as I was. Well, I was first of all trying to be responsible. Okay. Secondly, uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. And when okay. I say that, you know, I'm gonna keep my eye on Lacunitas because I have an expectation that these macro big sellouts are gonna eventually ruin you, the quality of your product anyway. Certainly not the case with those uh, bourbon county barrel age yeah. that we do mm-hmm. every year and certainly not the case with this willitized i'm a convert um everything that you said but um god every once in a while a 13.1 boozy barrel aged out is exactly what you need in your life this one's got the coffee added i'm very very happy yeah so tell us about your beer kyle that was half the abv <laughs> well maybe half the abv but definitely delicious nonetheless um i gotta say anything blood orange i just immediately grab because i love that flavor um and this is very good um i had one of these a couple months ago that was brighter um and so i feel like maybe this is an old can i was looking um and I, i can't see a uh canned on or can't buy or yeah. enjoy by date on it. Um, but I did also notice on here, it says bottle, bottle logic brewing and campy creatures. And it says campycreatures.com. So I'll have to look into what that's about. I'm not huh. sure if this is a collab or, um, or what I'll do some extra research and yeah. definitely hit you guys up so you can be sharing about it. Nice. Um, but I do enjoy a, a tart ale. Um, Especially the yeah the like blood orange and raspberry flavors complement each other. It's not like too sour or too sweet or anything like that. It's pretty palatable and uh, very tasty. Awesome. I I like blood orange as well. I think uh, the Anderson Valley blood orange Gosa that used to be one of my big go tos when I, like for summer beers. I would always we used to get that here pretty regularly and uh, and I would try to have a six pack of that in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Throughout the summer, just a super thirst quenching uh, and nice. just tasty, fruity. Love it. Oh, glad, glad to hear it. You're 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 making me want to try this one, and, and you know, really, that's that's what it's all about on beer and a movie. We're trying to share the word on these wonderful drinks and films that uh, we, we want others to experience. And thank you, Kyle, for being here, of course, um, to help Absolutely. us do that. And thank you. And listeners in general, the best thing about beer in a movie is that the conversation really doesn't end with these episodes because it extends well beyond them. You can find us on social media, uh, a place like Facebook. We're there, right? Facebook.com slash beer in a movie TX. On Instagram, we're there. If you need to find us, we're, we're sharing images all the time. Um, and you can join our chat on Discord, which I highly recommend. We're under the name Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. Find us there. Jump on. Share your thoughts. Uh, t- tell us what we're wrong about. Tell us what we're right about. We don't care. We just want to hear from you. We've also mentioned that we're going to extend our conversation from this episode ourselves in our Patreon subscriber-only After Hours bonus episode. If you want to hear that, you just go to patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. We have a few free ones up there already, mm-hmm. but uh, if you want to join and become a Patreon subscriber, then you're going to get access to all of those after hours every week that they come out. 
And also, we know you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, but before you leave, won't you please rate us and leave a review? We hope you'll make it five stars so that the algorithm can... Do what it do. There we go. And put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another artificially intelligent new episode of Beer in a Movie. Every week. Until next time. That won't work anymore. There's a new interactive user. Me. Thank you.